You are now listening to the Fresh Out the Cocoon podcast with Dr. Joy Cox. This pod is unapologetically pro-fat and pro-black. Welcome to my space. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We're actually on episode five of season three. And for this episode, I had the pleasure of being joined with Miss Veronica Garnett, who is a health at every size, fat positive, and culinary registered dietitian with over 16 years of experience. The majority of her work she spent working with Black and Latina ex folks living with food insecurity, substance abuse, and mental health issues. I'm super excited for you to hear all of the things that we chatted about. So let's go ahead and hop to it. Hi, Veronica. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure having you here today. And I'm excited to kind of get into this topic and talk uh, a bit more about what you do. And so why don't you go ahead by starting off and introducing yourself to the audience? Hey, audience. (laughs) Um, So I'm (laughs) Veronica. Uh, Veronica Garnett, a.k.a. Veronica the Dietitian. Um, And like Joy said, I'm a um, health at every size and fat positive registered dietitian. I've been in this field, in the food and nutrition field for going on 17 years. Uh, And throughout my career, I've worked with some of the most marginalized communities, uh, people, mostly black and brown folks living with, um, you know, chronic illnesses such as HIV, diabetes, heart disease, eating disorders, and also people who are struggling with substance abuse, mental health issues, and food insecurity. And so now, so so yeah, after, after you know, 12 years of working for different organizations, I'm now um, out on my own, starting my, I just started a virtual private practice uh, and consulting business. So I support clients in creating healthy relationships with food and their bodies, as well as I help professionals provide um, multiculturally competent, weight-inclusive nutrition care. Um, in addition to that, I'm a bit of a jackie of all trades, so I have. I guess we could talk about that more in depth, but I have several projects that I'm working on that all kind of fall under that health and wellness realm. Awesome. So from one Jackie to another, uh, it's great to be great to be in in good company. Um, Your bio says a lot about you. um, And there are like there are just things that I want to ask you about as it relates to some of the work that you do. But before we jump into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory. So maybe tell us a bit about where you grew up or like what you do and how bodies were viewed in your family. So I, I spent the first half of my childhood in New York City, in, in Harlem to be exact. Um, I grew up in, like on a paper, in a very idyllic um, household and family situation. Uh, so I have you know, two professional parents. My mother was a college professor. My father was, um, was a judge and, and then you know, a lawyer, private practice lawyer. And like both of my parents were, were straight-sized. And I feel like there wasn't much focus on bodies, or at least, you know, really early on. But sort of related, well, I guess I, well, I can tell a story of when I realized that my body was different. So when I was in kindergarten, 
I went to an elementary school in Harlem. I remember standing in line, like it was on Monday, we we're standing in line to like have our teacher to like go up. We're waiting in line, waiting to have our teacher check our um, homework from the weekend. And I remember walking up to my teacher's desk and I she checked my work and then she patted me on the belly and said that I ate too much of my favorite snack, uh, which was uh, Ritz, Ritz crackers with you know peanut butter. Uh, that was yeah, one of my favorite snacks. And she's like, oh, that I ate too much of those like over the weekend. And I was like, oh. it was just like all of a sudden that I realized that there was something wrong with my belly, my body. And so like, I, I, I used to say like, I've been fat since I was five, but th that wasn't something that was like talked about at home. And I think maybe because my, my parents were professionals and worked a lot, I just don't remember like conversations about that or a focus on that. And I think now if I talk to my mom, like she would say that we like me and my sister are both like normal, whatever that means, normal or average size kids, not fat kids. So that was interesting. And so like my parents were both straight sized. And when I think about a particular, I'm like closer to my mother's side of the family. And I think about my mom is one of five, she had six, six there's six siblings, five girls, one boy. So like four of my aunts, like three out of four of them were in larger bodies. My grandmother was in a larger body. I don't know if they would use the term fat themselves. Um, but yeah, but they were in, in larger bodies. And to me, it just seemed like that was normal. And all of them were married. They had degrees on top of degrees. Uh, they had children. And I'm assuming they had, you know, good lives or lived the lives that they wanted. So it didn't seem like being in a larger body was like a hindrance or whatever. But I do think because we're all like swimming in this fat phobic stew, there's probably always like an undercurrent or like on one hand, these bodies are normal, but then there's also something like wrong with them. So I don't know. Like I just, when I think about my, yeah, my younger childhood, I didn't think too much about bodies or it wasn't, it wasn't as, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it just wasn't as much of an issue until maybe like a little bit older, you know, middle school, high school. So I guess to backtrack a little bit, like I, the household that I grew up in, I, I would say is a little volatile. And my parents divorced when I was nine years old. And we, my mom, my sister and I moved to, moved to New Jersey. But we, you know, my sister and I would still go back to visit our dad in the city. And when I was 11, right before, right before turning, yeah, 12, uh, and this is at the same time, like I got my period and was hitting, you know, adolescence and my body was changing and all of that. And, you know, you know, now, like, I guess in the science realm that children can gain like 40 pounds during adolescence or about that, like that's the average. So my body was changing and growing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer around that at that same time. And we ended up spending like that, that spring and summer, my sister and I, and sometimes even my mom, even though my parents were divorced, spending a lot of time in New York, like helping my dad, like through his recovery from, you know, cancer treatment. And it was at that point where my father would say like really hurtful and mean things about my body, about my double chin, you know, about my size, like, and sometimes to the point where, you know, I would lock myself in the bathroom crying 
And I think that's like when it was like really, really apparent to me that like my body was wrong and to be in a larger body was not desirable. And after that, I, like if I look at, you know, like my later teen years, yeah, I think I started to do some things to try to shrink myself. You know, that pivotal moment around like 11 and 12 years old. All right. And so... I mean, you've you've told quite a story. You've painted quite a picture um, that is vivid, at least in my mind. And you kind of talk about the things that you went through as a young teen. And I'm just wondering, during that time, did you have, you know, did you find like an outlet of support or did you feel like very much just isolated kind of going through this thing on your own? I think it was definitely the latter. I felt more isolated and... I didn't, I don't think I really had a way to process those negative messages that I was getting from my father, you know, of all people. Yeah. Like I didn't really have anyone to go to. And I, and I think that's like a, just a maybe broader, or that's just a symptom of something, like a broader issue that was going on. Like I, yeah, just growing up, I was disconnected, I think from, well, not, I think I was disconnected from family. Um, we were the only, like my mom is, you know, like I mentioned before that she's one of, you know, six siblings. So of course I have a lot of cousins, but no one, no one else like lived in New York or even really the the East Coast, except I have an aunt in Massachusetts. Um, but everyone else was in the Midwest and in, in Chicago, in Gary, Indiana, just not like, no one was like physically close. And then also a lot of my cousins, like I'm the youngest of all of my cousins. So closest one in age to me is like nine years older than I am. So I think there's just always this, there's a physical disconnection, um, but also like an emotional one too. And I didn't have like mentors or whatever. Like we really were like a insular, like which is me, my mom, and my sister, most of my life. And then me, my mom, my sister, and my aunt who lived in Massachusetts. That was probably the closest relative. So outside of that, I was like, my sister, you know, she was going through the same stuff or I don't know if she got, I don't think she got the same messaging about bodies and like, like, I don't think she was as hard. My dad was as hard on her as he was me, but still I know, like she was trying to make sense of things herself and I didn't necessarily talk about it with my mom or any other adult kind of in my life. So yeah, it was just a lot of isolation and disconnection. Wow. And I mean, I imagine that had to be a lot being, you know, just 12 years old, kind of trying to figure out how to get things to work. And then even as you're getting older, because it's not just, you know, your appearance, but it's like also these other things that are um, happening in your life at the same time. I know like whenever I, as I was writing my book, oddly enough, (laughs) um, (laughs) my father was one of the first people who kind of pointed out or said some things that made me realize like, OMG, like I'm not like everybody else. And the impact that that had on me, I was about five years old. So like my dad was kind of like your kindergarten experience. And I think it's just really interesting how those that are closest to us really can help to shape the ways that we see ourselves, whether that be positively or negatively. 
and then kind of having to work through that on, on, you know, like you said, on your own as like the people in my family were also smaller size and they didn't quite get it. And they were trying to work through their own things as well. But I find a lot of similarities in your story as to mine and actually a lot of people that I've interviewed. And so I'm just wondering, I guess, you know, so you're in this space and you're here and you've kind of gone through these things. What is the breaking point for you? The breaking point. That breaking point came a lot later than, uh, um, you know, after after 12. Well, I should just let me say, so I went and studied nutrition. <laughs> so I went and studied nutrition, you know, so I was 18. And I really wanted to go to culinary school and become a chef. but that was kind of found upon, you know, I talked about heard it coming from this professional, highly educated family. So culinary school and a blue collar job was kind of frowned upon. And so I made the decision. I was like, okay, I can, well, I can study nutrition. That's close enough to like food and culinary arts. And so, but then the other justification that I gave was that, you know, I could, well, I could help my family, you know, family members, like what black person doesn't have a family member with high blood pressure or diabetes and stuff like that. So I'm like, I can, I can be, um, I could be, I could just get the knowledge and the information that I need to, to be able to support my family around that, um, those issues. But then also like deep down, I was like, okay, I can figure out what it is I need to do to like fix my body, fix what's wrong with me to shrink myself into this, you know, ideal body weight. And yeah, I would say that studying nutrition and dietetics, I mean, the field in and of itself is fat phobic as fuck. Can I curse? <laughs> uh, it's yes, really like, cursing is yeah. nutrition and dietetics, at least how it's traditionally taught is very fat phobic. Yeah. Fat phobic. And I would say a lot of nutrition students, nutrition professionals probably have their own food and body image issues. And I think the study, the way it's, it's doled out now can actually contribute to like, you know, it can be, it can contribute to the harm of that we are experienced with fat phobia and weight stigma. So I think some of the most, the most disordered eating habits I've ever had was while I was a student, uh, like the most restriction or like orthorexia, trying to have the perfect diet, trying to have a vegan and vegetarian, well, vegetarian, then vegan diet. Yeah, like that, my, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of um, turmoil and, or at least emotional turmoil or whatever, trying to like become or trying to fit into this image of what a dietitian is. I mean, most people, when they think of a dietitian, they probably think of like a thin white woman. Um, And that was, I mean, I was never going to be that, but I could be like smaller um, and I think it was, it's been like a series of, a series of unlearnings and awakenings and rejecting these, these notions and ideas about bodies. It's like a, like just a series that I don't think I had like one big aha moment, but I just like realized like when I was, when I was a vegan studying nutrition in undergrad, that I'm like, I can't keep doing this anymore. Like I can't. Like when I would go out to eat, like with my my boyfriend at the time, like I remember having meltdowns at the restaurant because there was nothing that I could eat, or like going to family functions and not being able to eat. Like this was that's just not a way that I wanted to live. 
So I, you know, stopped. I don't think I could ever be a vegan like ever again, <laughs> um, but I stopped doing that. And then like I went, so from undergrad, I went straight to my master's program. And during, during that time, like I, like while, while I was in grad school, I also started working full time as a dietitian. And so like undergrad was, was challenging, um, was challenging, but I think being out in the real world was even more challenging, uh, especially as a, a dietitian in a larger body. So, but in the, like in the absolute beginning of my career, so like 2008, I was working and then started doing like Weight Watchers. Can I say that? Or is that going to be bleaked out? <laughs> but I did Weight Watchers no. for a short period no. of time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but I did Weight Watchers for a short period of time. It was kind of like my mom, my sister were like, okay, we're going to go do this. Girl's still living, living at home. Um, we're going to go, like, we're going to go do this. So I dedicated my Sunday mornings or, well, we dedicate our Sunday mornings to going to Weight Watchers and, and um, then going grocery shopping. And I just remember, like, I got, of course, like, at, the, at that point, I was working at a women's health center um, for women living with HIV. And uh, I got a lot of pushback, you know, in, initially, like a lot of resistance, um, a lot of, you know, comment, negative comments about my body or being in a larger body. I used to um, sometimes sit and have breakfast or lunch with my clients at, a, at our facility. And I had to stop at a certain point because like people would comment on what I was eating, you know, dietitians supposed to eat a certain way and you know look a certain way so I just stopped doing that but like while I was doing Weight Watchers and like lost the weight you know that initial weight um you know of course I got a lot of positive feedback from you know the clients that I was working with but I was like that was like one of the worst periods <laughs> like talk about anxiety and like stepping on a scale six times a day and counting points like that was just I was miserable. Like I was miserable doing that. Um, and mentally, emotionally, it was also like, I just, I, I, I hit a wall. Like maybe at 12 weeks, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can, like I can never intentionally like diet or like I can never intentionally try to, to lose weight. And so then to, to fast forward a bit to uh, 2011, this is when I first heard about Health at Every Size the the book by Lindo, Dr. Lindo Bacon. And that was just an eye opener for me. And that's where, yeah, that was like, that was definitely like a, a pivotal moment in my own. So I guess maybe that could be the aha moment, but that was a pivotal moment in my career and my personal life in order to like heal my own relationship with food and my body. Yeah, that was a good like jumping off point but the work of like dismantling stuff and and rejecting these notions about larger bodies being wrong and all that like it started beforehand before then but that this book now gave me the language and the research to be like no I don't have to shrink my body like I can, I can be healthy at any size and even like I know with my understanding health at every size is not about like being healthy at every, like at any size or at every size, it's it's bigger than that. But at least in my initial understanding, like that was really helpful um, for me. And so even after that, it's still like now almost ten years later, like it's still more like growing and learning and processing and fighting against these oppressive systems. Right, for sure. I mean, I think that um, 
I think that there, you know, I guess I, in my own life, the people that I've interviewed on the show, it always seems like, you know, before we could find, I guess, what the language would be described of as of today, right? Like there's always these little nudges that have been happening over time that says, you know, I can't keep living like this. I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Like I knew something was up. I didn't know exactly how to to verbalize it. And then I came upon something else and like my life has changed. So I think like, you know, just you adding to that story kind of adds that sense of um, just kind of solidifies, right? That this is a journey, right? Like we're on this journey of enlightenment that kind of helps us to unlearn the negative things and and kind of unpack where a lot of our ideas and attitudes around fatness come from, and then to replace them with something that's going to be more beneficial that'll help us bloom and, and blossom as individuals. And so kind of moving forward, I know you mentioned culinary arts, um, that you were initially uh, interested in that. And so obviously I want to ask more about that because I did, you know, I had my degree in culinary arts. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that and maybe talk about the ways that how you see yourself or how you saw yourself, how you are currently seeing yourself plays a role in that. So, um, so I mentioned a little bit um, before about like the pushback that I got in my career, like being a fat dietitian. So like that was just, that was my first job as a dietitian, but like that pushback, that resistance, um, the instance of, um, I guess, weight discrimination and bias, like that, like that wasn't the only space where that, where that happened. So I was working in Chelsea in Manhattan. And if you know that neighborhood, there are a lot of, um, it's a lot of, well, LGBT, it's an LGBTQ friendly neighborhood and community. And if you look at the messaging, the images of you know gay male bodies um there's this like the you see what the what is considered desirable and it's often you know straight size hard-bodied thin well not but it's definitely hard-bodied um you know white man and i got a lot of pushback in that environment where i was working because i'm a fat black woman and like what do I know? Like, I, like, I look like I don't know what I'm talking about. So there was so much like resistance and pushback at that, at that job. Like clients would like one client in particular said like straight up, like, I don't want to work with her. He didn't want to work with me because I look like I didn't know what I was talking about. So I'm going to just do everything I said I wanted to do and I haven't done. So I like Googled, what are the top culinary schools in New Jersey? okay, which of these is like closest to, I was living in Newark, living on my own at this point. And I was like, well, what, what's the closest and the best culinary school? I went to info session and like signed up, like I, I applied the next day. And then in the, this was like in the spring. So in that fall I started. And so I just went full steam ahead and like just focused on culinary school. And I haven't talked about it, but like over the years, like much of my adulthood, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, like I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and yeah, I've really struggled and had, you know, plenty of ups and downs. And like culinary school really in that regard, like, oh, I'm going to start crying talking about it. <laughs> oh, ah, okay. But you know, that was like, that was a balm, a, a healing situation for me. 
Oh, wow. I'm really getting all like choked up about it. But yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have just have to let some tears like fall. But yeah, that was just a, was, oof, Lord. Okay. Yeah, that was just a big, a, a big thing, a huge thing for me. First of all, like, I'm finally going after my dreams. And like, just, I just remember being in the, being in the kitchen. I love like, I think my favorite um, area in culinary is Garmanger, you know, the cold kitchen. Yeah. And I just remember chopping herbs, dicing an onion, <laughs> mincing garlic, like just sitting there chopping, like it was one of the, that was like the mo- one moment where I'm like crying right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah, that was like a moment where like I can quiet my mind and like the anxiety goes away and at least like the depression's still there, but it's like quiet and calmed down and I could just like focus on chopping. Um, yeah. yeah, that was like, that was like one of the best um, educational experiences I've had, <laughs> life experiences. Okay, I'm gonna need to like, <laughs> I'm gonna need to no, stop. Come Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. slightly taken back at the fact that like, you know, um, that the, the piece that you find in chopping onions is, is special. <laughs> Uh, we got to bottle that up because I still I still cut onions um, with a certain pace that makes sure that I'm not crying by the <laughs> by the end. But I think that you know I think yeah. this is beautiful. I mean, and I think that it is. You know, it's kind of it's an illustration of what happens when you really do find like your happy place where you find you know a place where you can like that you can call home. And so it's a beautiful story, kind of just sitting back and listening to you talk about like this, this space that, that created a lot of peace for you and tranquility that you needed. It was a great experience. And I remember on the first day, the first day of school, um, I was in the bake shop, so the baking and pastry class, and we did introductions and people were talking about their dream or like, what's the dream? Like, what's the goal? What do they, what do they want to do? Like when they graduate, when they, you know, finish or like, you know, why do they start and what do they want to do? And I just said that like, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> like I said that like, this is, this is the dream. Like being here was a dream. Like I had that dream for so long and then just like let it sit on the back burner. So like, even now I'm like, I don't know what's next <laughs> with my culinary career, but yeah, just being there was was a great experience. And also like I think that was another another way to heal my relationship with food and heal my relationship with my body. I think it's like much more acceptable to be a fat chef <laughs> than a fat dietitian. And like when we had our exit dinner, like I I said like everyone all the graduating students got up like one 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 by one and said like I guess you know, just said whatever they had to say about the program, about graduating and all of that. And I just said that like, I've, I've been to an HBCU, I've been to an Ivy league, but this, this was a community college. And I'm like, this experience that I had at this community college was like the best educational experience I've, I've ever had. And it was like a tight knit family and community and felt like home. And I haven't been there in a minute, but I know like I could go back and then just like feel like right at home, which is, yeah, it's always a good thing that we have those spaces, you know, where we feel at home and connected and like a family. So that's awesome. 
Um, that's awesome. I mean, I think, you know, so often, you know, we, we find, I mean, just, I guess your journey in, in general is awesome. It's like this thing that you wanted to do and then you put it off and you did this other thing and it didn't really suit you as much as maybe you, you thought it would or that you hoped that it would and kind of like coming back full circle, being in this place and kind of being in this place with a greater awareness of your body. I mean, I think that that, you know, when you can be yourself, fully be yourself, skill set, passion, personality, everything in one spot. I think that there's a beauty in that. And so I kind of want to talk about a little bit how you talked about, you know, healing your relationship with food and the perspective of a health at every size, fat positive dietitian. And I would imagine a health at every size, fat positive chef. How do you merge I guess, how do you merge your philosophies about life and about bodies um, with the food that you cook as well as in your own practice? That's a good good question. And I'm still figuring out the answer. I'm still figuring out the answer. And I feel like I've spent the last 10 years of my life unpacking stuff. You know, I've been on this mental health journey, on this like career journey. And I'm like, how do, how do I bring all these together so I don't I don't you don't know if I have a cohesive answer but that like I guess like who I am and my the philosophies or the principles by which I live like they show up in everything that I do in some way shape or form so in my work so if I talk about the my private practice like it's really important because I've had these I have this lived experience of being a fat person being a black person, I think I'm just so now I'm like hyper aware of certain issues and experiences that um, maybe other dietitians don't have. I know that that makes a difference. I know like some of the clients who have reached out to work with me, um, like really appreciate that I'm a, a fat person or a person of color, a black woman, and like I'm just I'm very aware of that and the way that I operate it's like health i mean not health but um weight weight is like on the back burner i don't address i don't support people around like weight loss um and one of the things like i'm really proud of in my in my practice i mean i get to create the assessment forms and i get to ask the questions and one of the things that i made sure to include is like in my intake, like when we first meet, when I first meet with a client, like I ask people like, what is, what is your, um, like, what is your gender and leave it, you know, wide open. What is your size identity and leave that, you know, wide open. Like, what are some of your cultural values and like leave that wide open for people to answer however they, you know, however they want. Um, and I think that that like starting off the relationship, starting off these questionnaires, like with that, people knowing that this is a safe space to talk about these different identities, um, that that like that lays the foundation and helps like people open up. And, you know, like food is not just food. Health is not just about like what we eat. It's like all these other things and like the identities. I even asked like, have you, have you experienced any discrimination or bias or stigma because of like any of your, any of your identities? And that has just like, yeah, just open up, uh, open up the space for people. 
Um, and I just think about like, what, what kind of dietitian would I want to work with? Like what kind of healthcare professional would I, would I want to work with? And I would want to work with someone who asks these type of, you know, these type of questions or understands that I'm like this whole complete person and these things matter. And I think healthcare overall, I mean, it is, it's very stigmatizing, you know, healthcare, like racism in healthcare is a big thing. Erasure of certain identities is a big thing. Um, and so like, I don't want to perpetuate that. And um, yeah, that definitely shows up in the work. And that's because of my own lived exper- experience personally and, you know, professionally. And like one of the things as far as like food and cooking, I even bring that, I do bring that into my, um, like in my nutrition sessions, like we talk about, like we talk about cultural foods. I, I think there's this, there's this assumption that foods that are associated with black folks, <laughs> the African diaspora are deemed like either unhealthy or quote unquote, you know, this is poor people food. Like there's this, this notion that you have to like erase part of your cultural identity or your, you have to like the foods that you eat are not considered healthy. And when we think of like healthy food, it's often very Eurocentric. Uh, bland, <laughs> a lot of kale, and that's just not how. That's not how I roll. <laughs> that's not how I roll. And so, really, I want to celebrate like cultural foods. And mm-hmm. um, so, along those lines, like when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, like what's next after culinary school, I don't know if I. I mean, I think I'm beyond the point in my life where I could work in a kitchen, like working the line, <laughs> working those long, crazy hours. You know, I think eventually I would love to get married and have have children and all that kind of stuff. And like working in a, as a chef in a restaurant kitchen is just, it's, it's brutal. Anyway, so I'm still like figuring all that stuff out. But one of the dreams, like I said, when I was a teenager, was like, I want to go to culinary school and become a chef so I could have my own cooking show. And this was, I mean, I was in high school before there was YouTube and social media <laughs> and all of that. So I'm like, oh, well, now I don't need, I don't need to, I want to be on the Food Network. I'm like, now I don't need the Food Network to have a show since YouTube exists. Um, So I. Ow, I'm excited. (laughs) So, so I came up with the idea for Diaspora Radical Kitchen, which is my Mm -hmm. forthcoming online cooking show. My vision for that. It's like, well, my vision of the, for the world is one where we're free of fat phobia and anti-blackness, anti-black racism, and these other systems of oppression. And so my vision for the show is to, you know, my culinary point of view is African diasporan. Uh, you know, so I'm African-American, but I've, like, I grew up in Harlem. I lived in Brooklyn. I, like I went to an HBC where I've, you know, been around exposed to black folks from all over the world. And for my culinary externship, I went to, um, Senegal, because in culinary school, like we we learn French, um, you know, classical French cuisine mm-hmm. and techniques. We didn't focus on African food, Caribbean food, um, like South Asian food. Like there was no emphasis. Even our the international culinary, uh, the international kitchen class, or what I, I'm forgetting the title, but even the international class that we had, like focused on various for the most part, various um, European cuisines and like one day mm-hmm. for all of all of Asia, but it was really like Chinese food, <laughs> like one day. So 
I like like created this or I made this opportunity happen where I could go to Senegal. Like I rallied my community and like so many people supported me in order to get to Senegal to like live the dream. So, um, but yeah, so my so my culinary point of view is African diaspora, and so of course I want to celebrate and highlight um, highlight these foods, and also like I wanted to have these like liberatory is that right is that a word? <laughs> but to have these it is today. Liber- it okay, is today. <laughs> right. I wanted to have these liberating conversations about like fat phobia um, and diet culture and things like that. And my my goal was to have like guests on who are doing this work um to like come and cook with me um to come and cook with me and like talk about these things and so like in my philosophy as a a dietitian and culinarian is that like i mean all foods provide nourishment um and like you don't have to eliminate the foods that you love that you grew up with in order to be in order for them to for your food to be nutritious or for you to be healthy it's like you can definitely have the foods that you love and maybe there are a few, like I do have like one client now in particular who like doesn't want to give up the foods that they love. And so really like sought out like working with me so that we can like maybe tweak recipes here and there to make them maybe a little bit more nutritious. Or maybe we could cut out some sodium or, you know, some refined sugar or whatever. But yeah, with all of my platforms, whatever it, whatever it is I do, like I want to celebrate celebrate my people <laughs> our you know our people i guess i mean i think that that is awesome i'm so looking forward to this youtube show i mean i i went to senegal last year and i had a mighty fine time with all of the cuisine and um <laughs> and so i mean this is definitely something that i think you know especially whenever we talk about black communities And the scrutiny that we get for living, just existing, and how there is always this push to change what we eat, what we look like, who we are, how we talk, how we wear our hair, what our hair looks like. Like, there's always a push. And even me working at the medical school now, I see it. It's like, why can't you let these people eat the foods that they like? You know, like you kind of said, right, about your client, tweak some stuff, but you don't got to take all of it, you know, you ain't got to take their foods away. And so kind of having your perspective on this, I think, is is definitely valuable. It's definitely something that's needed. We do want to be able to keep our culture as a community. Um, and we don't want it overwritten by Kel. <laughs> like, we don't want it overwritten by, you know, right, all these other, you know, these other additions that are being added that have no connection to us. And if we be honest, no flavor. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, I, th- I think it's important. I think like, you know, I am looking forward to subscribing, being a part of that channel, watching things evolve, seeing you, um, you know, kind of lay your philosophies in action in another way and and really see the community like benefit from that. I think that that is a wonderful thing. And, and you so, make me excited, like hearing you like yeah. just talk about it. Like, oh yes, can I? And I just want to say, like, some, you had said something about like, um, just yeah, well, black folks, it's like we're constantly being scrutinized and told that we need to change something about ourselves or what we're doing. And like, when it comes to like food and fitness, especially like you know, in the midst of this you know pandemic, there's so much like just bullshit, <laughs> you know, swimming around about 
like, I mean, with our Surgeon General, the comments that he made about us not calling Big Mama and this and that, but like people like skirt around the the issue, like the reason why we're disproportionately affected by certain illnesses, certain underlying conditions, and even COVID-19 is really because of racism and like these other social determinants of health. Um, and I really want to stress to folks that like our individual behaviors only make up a very small percentage. Like we could eat the perfect diet and we could exercise, you know, five, seven days a week, whatever. But that only, that only makes up about like a small percentage, maybe about 30% or maybe even less about, depending on the source, social determinants of health, like the, the context in which we live, our environment, um, you know, access to healthcare, things like that, that makes up 60 to 70% of our health. And then genetics and like individual behaviors make up the rest. Um, So it's really a small percentage. And so like, yes, you know, eating nutritious foods and moving our bodies like that, they could be health supportive, but it's, it's not the be all end all. And like, you don't have to eat just only kale and quinoa and hummus or whatever to be healthy. It's like so much bigger. Yeah. Don't forget the couscous. You ain't got yeah, to eat couscous. couscous. You, to, you ain't got to eat it. Unless you want to. Like, if you want to, sure, go ahead. Right, but if right, you're right. having that instead of the white rice that you really want to have, I, like, I have a problem with that. Like, have the white rice. Like, like diet culture has made us believe that, like, white rice, like, so many cultures depend on rice and white rice in particular. Um, like, throughout the diaspora and Asia, like, everywhere. But that's, like, vilified. And, like, just, I just, just I, uh, <laughs> I just can't like I mean I can I can imagine I see it like how that's vilified but it's just like it's just ridiculous that we'd have to cut this out in order to be quote unquote healthy and like we could do that and still like anything can happen I mean I was yeah I'll just say I'll I'll just leave it at it you know leave it at that there's like so many other things that impact our health and our our lives. And it's more than just what happens on the plate. Yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. That is like such a wonderful piece of information. Like, you know, it's more than what happens on the plate. Yeah. Um, and then stressing about know. what's on the plate doesn't help your health either. Like, right. Yeah. Having meltdowns at Applebee's like I did when I was in college as a vegan, like that, like that doesn't help <laughs> your mental, your emotional, your physical well-being. And so, I mean, it's, you know, this conversation has been so enlightening and like heart touching and, and just listening to your story has meant, at least it meant a lot for me. I mean, I know that our listeners will get something out of this as well. My last question for you, um, Ms. Garnett, uh, if you would oblige, um, if there's anything uh, in addition to what you've already said today, but if there's anything that you would want to leave about your journey, about their journey, maybe things, maybe something you wish you would have known being younger, what would that be? I wish I would have known that it's okay to just be, to just be, to be in our bodies, to take up space, um, to be our authentic selves. Yeah, I would have, I just, yeah, I wish I would have known that like I was okay as I am. And just like shedding all of the these notions that were placed like placed on me that aren't me, you know, like really a lot yeah, just a lot of this 
work that I feel like I've been tasked with as an adult is really just to get back to the essence of who and what I am. Awesome. Well, Veronica, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, sharing your stories, um, telling us about, you know, your own journey and um, let the listeners know now where they can find you. Okay. <clears throat> so, so, you know, I'm a Jack K. I say Jack K of all trades. <laughs> so you could follow me in quite a few places. So I have Veronica Garnett. That's just my, that's my personal page. So you might get some stuff, some culinary stuff, some dietetic stuff, but really it's just me <laughs> and my personal life. But everything is like an offshoot of that. So there's Veronica the Dietitian. This is all on Instagram. So Veronica Garnett and Veronica the Dietitian is my private practice and consulting stuff. So you'll see a lot more information all about that on that page. And then there's Diaspora Radical Kitchen also on Instagram. So that's the, you know, the culinary show, everything, all the culinary stuff that I would do, I will do, um, will be under there. And then lastly, we didn't get to talk about, um, Black Adventuristas that much, but Black Adventuristas is my adventure platform that I created for Black women. Um, and the mission is to support the well-being of Black women by connecting us to each other and, and adventure experiences in our local communities and beyond. Um, so if you're looking for um community that is led by me and all of you know yeah all of these philosophies that I carry it shows up there too <laughs> so if you're looking for community that's black adventuristas all of the websites are like black adventuristas.com diasporaticalkitchen.com veronicagarnett.com so you can follow me across the board whichever platform speaks to you the most or all of them <laughs> Awesome. So we can get you a a, a meal and adventure all in, all yes. in one swipe. <laughs> all in all one. Right. All right. All right. So once again, thank you for being on the show today. Um, I greatly appreciate it. We look forward to seeing um, how things develop with you. I do. I'm going to go follow that, that kitchen. I have no kitchen, so I'm going to follow that. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find this episode and all the others on freshoutthecocoon.com. That's F-R-E-S-H-O-U-T-T-H-E-C-O-C-O-O-N.com. You can also grab some merch from the store. And don't forget to follow me on social media at Fresh Out The Cocoon on Facebook and Fresh Out The Cocoon on IG. See you next time. Hey there, did you know that I wrote a book? That's right, Fat Girls and Black Bodies Creating Communities of Our Own is slated to be released September 29th of this year. This book is for us and it's by us. Join me on a journey as I combat fat phobia and racism to reclaim a space of belonging at the intersection of that which is fat, black, and female. You can pre-order your copy today at freshoutofthecocoon.com. That's freshoutofthecocoon.com. Are you tired of fitness apps that limit what goals you can achieve? What if there is an app that allowed you to reclaim your freedom and self-esteem with a simple click of a button? Introducing Jabby. Jabby is the body-affirming community wellness app, redefining fitness and providing emotional support to move your body in your own way. 
with features to set your own goals, create workout groups, and receive encouraging messages. Ditching the other guys has never been so easy. Head over to jabbyapp.com today to learn more. That's J-A-B-B-I-E-A-P-P.com. With Jabby, you'll never work out alone.